Welcome to Open Source Sustainability. I'm Alex Lassiter, CEO of Green Places. This month, we have a special edition for Earth Day. We've got a compilation of some leaders in different types of businesses coming at you to learn more about how they approach sustainability inside their different industries. We've got a tech executive from public company Yext. We've got the leader and founder of Hodinkee, the largest e-commerce platform for watches in the world. We've got a sustainability leader at an independent private school. And we have a leader from a restaurant chain describing how they think about stepping into sustainability and how they prioritize progress over perfection. First, we're going to hear from Ben Clymer, the CEO and founder of Hodinkee, the world's largest e-commerce platform for watches. We're going to talk to Ben a little bit about a company that he just purchased to be able to bring a secondary market for your favorite watches. We'll also dive into a review of more green offerings in the watch industry, including sustainable watch bands, alternative components, fair gold mining, and a number of other things that some of your favorite watch brands are doing to be able to make watches a more sustainable industry. And how even luxury retailers have found a way to be able to green their offerings. So maybe talk to me first about how does sustainability fit in with Hodinkee's mission? What do you think broadly about this? And and, and maybe talk to me about y'all's place in the world of sustainability today. Yeah, I, I think I think two things worth kind of mentioning. First is like the definition of luxury is literally something you don't need, right? Like it's 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 something beyond your yeah. your base base necessity. So you would think that like as, as you said, you know that like the idea of something in luxury that that is sustainable is is kind of like it's an oxymoron. Like it doesn't make any sense. But when you look at and 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 I think to some degree that that is an accurate thought. And I think it's that that's a sound kind of directional thought. When you look at fashion, when you look at cars, right? I mean, like you know, looking at a, a brand new electric you know, Porsche or an electric uh, Tesla today, you know, these cars cost whatever. And like, you know, these batteries will have to go somewhere. And like, these cars will not be on the road in, in 50 years. Like we, we know that definitively. Uh, when you look at shoes, clothes, whatever, those will not be around in 50 years. You can't, wear, I mean, I guess you could wear your grandfather's sweater or whatever from the 50s, but it would be difficult to, to maintain it for sure. Meanwhile, you look at watches and, and jewelry, and I really view watches as a separate category from jewelry for my own reasons, but I know a lot of people kind of group them together. You're looking at, in fact, the most sustainable, the most long-lasting physical items that anybody can buy. And these are luxury in the sense that, yeah, of course you don't need them to survive. And, you know, nobody would ever say that you you, you do, and I would be the first among them. But these are luxury items that actually have incredible longevity and incredible respect for the environment. And, and these are things made out of, you know, effectively raw materials that are shaped in many cases by hand, you know, up until uh, the 80s. Uh, they were shaped by hand, you know, before CNCs, before CAD, et cetera. You know, these things were, were genuinely shaped by hand. So it would be kind of silly to say that these are, are luxury in the sense that, like, these are items that are short-lasting and these items are things that will be kind of uh, turned around quickly and kind of thrown into a garbage dump. And then you have to, you know, kind of go in, into the, the world to kind of recreate. Uh, you know, there are, I've got a watch on my desk that is from 1963. And and by the way, like, it, it's, it still works. And this is not a plant. This is just sitting here. Uh, but this watch is 60 years old. And I think that's pretty remarkable that, like, this thing is still around today. And so the idea of, of mechanical watches and, and items like this are really inherently sustainable in a way that I don't think many people understand. Then you come into the idea of 
actual like you know premeditated sustainability within our own company and within some of our partner companies. You know, you have things like Fairmind Gold, which is like are are actually predetermined and, and pre-designed, premeditated to be sustainable. And so you have Recycled Gold, Chopard, which is a partner brand of ours. We were an authorized dealer of theirs, sells products and creates products out of Fairmind Gold, and they were amongst the first to do that. Within Hodinkee, like sustainability has always just been kind of core to what we do, and like. It wasn't like we set out to be a sustainable company. We just set out to be a world-class company. We wanted to be a company that treated our employees, our partner brands, and the environment and the world in which we live with the utmost respect. And I think we, we've done that. And that, that goes back as far as probably 2016. We began looking at the way that watches and straps and everything sold in, in kind of like luxury goods were packaged. And what you would see is you'd see a watch that's about you know 39 millimeters in diameter, which is like you know the size of your thumb or two thumbs maybe being packaged in, a, in what appeared to be like a briefcase, you know, really like, you know, let's say three foot by two foot rectangle with leather and, you know, and, and steel and cushioning and I mean, all these like kind of crazy facets, et cetera. And that just made no sense. It also like as a watch collector, which I, you know, you wouldn't be surprised to learn I am. What do you do with all this stuff? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. And so I was, you know, I was living in Manhattan at the time in a tiny little apartment and I really had no room. I had to get storage units to put boxes for watches. In, and I was like, this makes absolutely no sense. So when we became an authorized dealer for watches in 2017, we actually went out and created our own packaging that was completely sustainable. We actually were the first people to do that. We actually asked the partner brands if we could not include their packaging. Some of them mm. said yes. Some of them said no. But to, to even ask that was kind of like it was completely crazy. I mean, it was a totally foreign idea that like people were, were, were okay with getting less when you were paying, say, five, six or more thousand dollars per mm -hmm. for, for a watch. And it turns out that a lot of people really wanted that for a thousand reasons. I mean, one of the reasons, A, is storage. Like, what am I going to do with it? But beyond that, we we saw, and it, it really kind of escalated or, or, or became much more kind of a, a thing during COVID, you saw younger people buying watches, mechanical mm. watches. And with that, you have people that are just more cognizant of sustainability and the environment. And so, again, the idea of, you know, delivering a 39 millimeter watch in a packaging that probably weighs 40 pounds and is made of stuff that like we'll never use again was was almost offensive, you know, to a lot of people's kind of intellect and a lot of people's um, kind of ethical viewpoint of, of toward or towards what sustainability should be and what luxury should be. Right. I mean, if you have the, 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 the air quotes luxury of being able to afford these things, you should be respectful about it. Like you shouldn't take advantage of any situation. Uh, and so we were the first and remain. Uh, certainly, the, probably the largest proponent of sustainability within the, the watch category. Several brands have followed suit now, and now you'll see small or small and big brands selling watches in you know something like this. I'm holding up my iPhone, but effectively, imagine a little leather case like this that folds over on itself, and 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 you could fit a watch in there. Uh, so we were among the first to to do that, and I, and I think you know definitely set uh, you know kind of a standard there. But everything we do is is really to be mindful of the world around us. Next, I sat down with Neil Booker, head of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Yext. We talked a little bit about what Yext is doing to meet their sustainability goals and also how they're working with their partners at Google to make sustainable choices easier for consumers looking for new ways to be able to interact with the businesses that they shop from. Are you able to share any more details on that of like maybe some examples of what sustainability might look like to somebody who's maybe looking for their next hotel to stay in? You know, do you have any examples of what that might look like? For sure. Uh, that's a great question. In real time, just really understanding how the relatively complex nature of the work that Yex does applies in the real in the real world space. So to your point, if you're thinking about searching for a hotel to stay in, in New York City perhaps, and you're considering 
a number of factors and environmentalism is of the utmost importance to you. A simple search based on this company's you know, viability and how forthcoming they are with their sustainable practices and the benefits therein, uh, this may be something that simply pops up in a simple search for them. So you can see the type of uh, sort products that they source, if they are sustainability focused, uh, and a number of other environmental causes that they may be involved in, simply by utilizing the X feature and, and ensuring that this information is at the, at the forefront in terms of their listing. And again, we try to make it as easy as possible for our customers to be able to utilize the platform. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about the difficulty around sustainability and again, the very complex nature and the conversation and how very nuanced each of the companies are. So again, making it as frictionless as possible is of the utmost importance. So something as simple as uh, utilizing uh, a couple of fields to be able to implement or insert this data is as simple as, you know, a click of a button here or there. And if that is something that is of the utmost importance to folks like you and I, and that's going to be a determining factor as to, you know, whether or not you stay at this particular hotel or utilize this particular uh, company, you know, I would suggest company utilizing that type of platform. That's amazing. It's funny, like, as you're talking through this, I'm, I'm thinking in my head a little bit of like, kind of like the evolution of search. You know, the first version of search that I remember was the yellow pages, which my high suspicion is most people listening to this podcast aren't going to know exactly what that is. But that was my first search. And obviously, as you've moved on to online and, and search engines, you know, you're looking into things like location, like how close is this to me? You might look into opening hours. You might look into menus. I remember when menus were added into search and you were able to see what somebody would have. You could look at prices. Then you could look at reviews and reviews started to make their way into it. And this is like another evolution of that that's really exciting because it gives consumers more information about what they do. Does that mean that consumers will only go shop at places that are sustainable? No, it, it just means that people get choices. And for the history of time, humans have wanted more information about what we purchase and where we purchase it. And I love that Yex is taking this a step further to say, we're going to give you more information to make a decision on the places that you go and the businesses that you frequent. And we're going to help empower the businesses that want to be able to be a part of this change to share that in ways that are honest and transparent. That's amazing. We were we had a podcast um, that we recorded last episode with a fast food chain called PDQ. And the interesting thing, and, and I'll tie this back, but it, it, it sure. reminds me a little bit of what you're doing here, is he said, you know, for a business like ours, we've been nervous about taking steps into sustainability because we knew that we couldn't be perfect. We were afraid that because we weren't able to dedicate the resources that maybe, you know, a Starbucks or a Whole Foods might, um, that we can't we can't do this. And we were afraid of taking a step because it wasn't going to be at that level of perfection that we so often kind of want to be at. And he said, you know, this this decade for us and where we want to sort of fit into this is to basically show that progress is more important than perfection. It's about taking steps. It's about working your way into this. And what excited him about the process that they're working through, which is pretty similar to where Yext is in terms of taking the steps of understanding their emissions, because you can't reduce what you can't measure. He said, Absolutely. what gets him excited about is the education aspect. We can learn about our footprint. We can learn about our emissions. With that learning, we can help to educate our customers, our employees. We can be smarter about it. 
And what Yex to me is doing is another continuation of that because now you're educating customers, you're educating people, you're educating companies, you're giving them the ability to take those first steps without the fear of not doing it perfectly. And to me, that's just a great way to partner with folks. I, I think that's I think that's amazing. I, I really think that when y'all look back in 10 years from now, these are going to be the defining things that that helps make this mainstream and help makes it available to people who otherwise would have been afraid of taking that step. Now they can. Absolutely. What's really important from a personal perspective is just being able to have that visibility uh, and knowing that this information is available. And now it may be something, even if it's not at the forefront, that's going to be a consideration as I make decisions moving forward. You know, in a recent study Google actually conducted, 82% of consumers reported sustainability as a top priority. Wow. When making purchases. purchases 82%? That's that's remarkable. Right. So customers are becoming increasingly eco-conscious, right? And, And that's reflected by the trending search with search terms like recycling, climate change, and sustainability. So we want to make sure that we're accounting for this shift in consumer preferences. So even if someone isn't necessarily making that purchasing decision based on that information explicitly, again, as I tie that back to my personal journey, it's something that I'm now considering when purchasing said item. And it's going to be the same you know, moving forward into the future as companies need to ensure that they have some level of accountability as it relates to sustainable practices uh, and, and waste reduction in general. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Now let's learn from Tina Basias, the sustainability coordinator at Durham Academy, who's training the next generation of climate champions. While it may seem that corporations are behind and still getting up to speed on saving our planet, students at this North Carolina school have made it part of their everyday mission to prioritize sustainability. I was thrilled to learn just how much can be accomplished when you have a whole group of students behind a cause. Not only was it fun to engage with students on developing a carbon footprint, but I continue to be inspired by the passion that these students bring to the environmental movement. In terms of students uh, and what you're really asking here, they have really driven so much of this. And just from the beginning, it's been a really positive, upbeat group. And it's turned over multiple times, but that that tone has, has remained. And there's just such a sense of excitement about really doing real things. You know, I think students, and, and I work most closely with the high school students, and they have lots of opportunities for competitions of various, you know, in debate and athletics and uh, robotics, you know, and lots of things. Almost everything that is not sustainability has an aspect to pretend about it. You know, you get a trophy for something, and that's great, or you're, you're debating something, but you're not actually changing a law. You're, you know, debating other high schoolers and seeing who, you know, in a sense, who has the most potential to change laws in the future if they go into politics or, or you know, policy work. In the sustainability committee, we have the joy, the, the excitement of making actual concrete change that is now. And that is, I think, really energizing for students. You know, so like when they were going out and gathering data, you know, in the fall semester and, and handing it over to you know, Green Places, our our partners at Green Places and all, they were really participating in the process that is changing Durham Academy. So their energy and their willingness to do things and, you know, we've, we've done dumpster dives, you know, we get out and get dirty 
And uh, we, you know, gathering paper towels from bathrooms, doing, a, you know, a pilot, a rather long pilot project to change over uh, from putting all our paper towels in the trash to putting them all in compost um, involved students every week emptying the receptacles, twice a week, emptying the receptacles and uh, taking care of things until we could hand it over to housekeeping, you know, get a, a, a process in place. And, you know, this this big event that we did recently, this sustain-in, was, uh, you know, really a student creation. We were in class and starting to think ahead about, okay, how are we going to take this Green Places report of our greenhouse gas emissions and get to the point of the school making commitments to change things. And we're not in a position to buy a lot of offsets. We are gonna have to actually do change in order to bring our carbon emissions down. And we talked about it and said, well, the more we engage people in the process of developing strategies and that sort of thing, the more willing they'll be to support those strategies too. And the better strategies we'll come up with um, if we have a lot of different perspectives on it. So, you know, and then they, they get to this point where we're sort of spitballing ideas in class and it's like, okay, we can stay all night and we can work on this and, you know, and make a big event and bring in everybody. And all that. I'm going, and, it, and that's when I'm starting to go, oh, really? <laughs> and, well, that's amazing. Uh, I hear this sense of optimism from these students. I mean, that's, that's to me is, is so exciting. I'm hearing... I mean, you could see it from, from I think, from your reactions on it, but it's just such this level of excitement and optimism about the future that a lot of times you hear is, is almost more of people are just so doom and gloom and we're never going to make it. It sounds like the students at, at Durham Academy view this as just a great opportunity to do something. And I think that just sounds so, so exciting. It, it is. We do have our dark moments. You know, I do teach about climate change. And I, I think it's important. They're old enough to know the facts. And it, it's scary. We have our, our scary moments. And we, we talk about that. And we talk about hope. Uh, and, and how do you maintain it in, in the face of really steep odds? The outlook is, is certainly very scary if we don't do anything. And so it becomes a matter of choosing the optimistic path and saying, well, it is going to be maybe the hardest thing that's ever been done by humanity to get change the course we're on and to meet these targets of 2030 and 2050 that the IPCC has set. But let's get going. I mean, you know, it's always comes down to we can sit in the corner and cry or we can get busy and demand change, you know, our, be willing to change ourselves and be willing to really ask it of leadership and demand it because the circumstances require it. I mean, if it's an emergency, we do something. And so I do survey all the ninth graders uh, every year and um, I do find a high degree of worry uh, about climate change. About two-thirds of our student body is at a four or a five out of five level of wow. worry and fear about the future for and as climate change impacts it. But we all feel better when we're working on things and we have a lot of fun. And, you know, we can, we are very conscious about making sure we include the fun and acknowledge the daunting realities, but then don't, you know, move forward. We have a lot of support from our administration. They have been, in, the students have been invited to speak to the administrative team every year since we started this and to the board of trustees a couple of times. And um, that's rare 
and something that we all appreciate greatly and hope to really make the most of it. That's amazing. Four out of five is a lot. While Durham Academy is pioneering the crossroads between education and sustainability, businesses like PDQ and other food service brands have their own set of unique challenges when it comes to what they're doing for the planet. PDQ's Jeffrey Camus offered us a glimpse into balancing brand standards with operational improvements to be able to green this restaurant chain. You know, for our listeners, obviously, we've we've had a couple podcasts that have talked a little bit about the challenges of sustainability and food service, but you've got everything from the suppliers and packaging, you've got the in-dining experience, you've got the to-go experience, you've got the buildings themselves with both natural gas, um, electricity, water consumption, you've got the food, where it all comes from, how it gets to our properties. Uh, you've got the commitment to quality to making sure that the things that we produce are done so in a way that's obviously meets our brand standards, but is also to the level of quality that you'd expect at a PDQ. And then as you alluded to earlier, you've got the people. So how do we get to and from each location? How does corporate potentially get out on a plane back and forth to locations to be able to help and support? There's a lot here. I mean, it's an absolutely enormous tent of data that you have to be able to sift through and understand to be able to make a decision. So I, I, I understand that completely, and but I also know that it's a power. Yeah. And it goes back to brand values, right? So you want to make sure, and you said it, you said it way better than I could have ever said it is, is that brands, obviously we have a, a mission we have a brand value and you want to stick to that. So balancing all those things is, is definitely a challenge. And um, again, luckily you guys have done it for so long, you don't understand how to do it, but you have to be able to do that because you have to make sure that you're not sacrificing the things that you've promised to your guests, your team members, all those things. And that's where, you know, that would be probably the, the other thing I'd add from your comments too, is that, you know, making sure that you can balance all those things while knowing that, you know, that what the right thing to do is. So then it's, how mm -hmm. does that balance with those things to not impact you from a brand perspective or the things that you are doing that are so important to who you are and what you've developed from, from that standpoint as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because ultimately you've got, I don't know how many employees are at PDQ, but there's a lot of people that get fed every day because of this company. There's families uh, that you have to think about. There's employees' futures. There's obviously there's investors in the business and all of that type of stuff has to work all in concert with each other. And that's what makes some of this stuff so difficult because it's like weighing different things as you start to figure out the best better way to operate. It doesn't mean stopping to operate. It means operating differently and smarter. And I think ultimately we're all trying to do that in different ways. It's so inspiring to be able to work with businesses from all different types of industries to understand how they have incorporated sustainability into their values and their operations in the hopes of creating a business that's in balance with the planet. I feel lucky for the opportunity to sit down with them and walk behind the scenes to learn a little bit more about the unique challenges that each one of these businesses are facing. And I'm inspired about where we're headed from here to be able to learn more about how they envision a future where businesses and the planet can coincide in a more peaceful way. Thanks for listening. If you want to dive deeper into the sustainable strategies of these companies we talked with today, be sure to follow the show so you don't miss the full interviews that will be released in the coming months. And if you like this show, please be sure to leave a review. This podcast is powered by Green Places. If you're looking to reduce your company's environmental impact and reach your sustainability goals, visit greenplaces.com to learn more. Happy Earth Day. I'm Alex Lassiter, and I'll talk with you next time on Open Source Sustainability.